All right. Well, before we um, begin our time of the message, uh, if you've been with us this past month, we've been going through a sermon series called A Faith of Our Own. And the whole idea is we don't want to just lease our faith or adopt a faith. We really want to own a faith. And what does that look like? It's so, even though the, the, the faith that we all profess as a church, it's all the same. And yet the way we experience it, the way we grow into Christ, it looks different because of our cultural context, our background. And so the past few weeks, we've been having different guest speakers come and speak into that. And today is actually our last sermon series of, that concludes our, the past four weeks. And we have one last guest speaker that we'll be introducing today. And so it's a great privilege to introduce him. Uh, our guest speaker today is uh, Elder Alex Jun. He serves as a ruling elder at New Life Fullerton, and he's also a professor at Azusa Pacific University. Uh, he also served as the moderator for the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. Uh, we are a Reformed Baptist church, but we love our PCA brothers. We love our Presbyterian brothers, and it's, all, it's awesome that he's here to bless us. And he's currently the coordinator of the PCA Korean American Leadership Initiative called Cali. Uh, but most importantly, uh, he and his wife, Jeannie, he is uh, uh, happily married to his wife and have three children. Their children, it's funny, he was telling a story where one of the volunteers in volunteer worship, she serves in nursery, and she says, oh, is your child, this is our day in nursery? He's like, no, my child's your age. <laughs> like his children are like our age. And so he is a seasoned veteran. Apologies if I aged you, but he is a seasoned veteran. And I, we always tell people when you're a seasoned veteran, you could do whatever you want up here. Just speak, speak wisdom, speak God's word. But so appreciative having this brother here to come and share God's word with us. And just a brief word. I, I first knew, heard of Alex actually at the, the Gospel Coalition conference. There was a West, Gospel Coalition Western conference uh, for the West Side. And he gave a talk and I remember being very so struck by it, like just his insights and thoughts on culture, um, on Christianity, on my Asian American background, just make, making me think about things I had never thought about. And so I just, I always like kind of just had it in the back of my mind, like we need this brother to come and speak for our church one day. I'll grab coffee with him recently as well. And it's just, again, filled with wisdom. He, all the, 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 the church wars in the past and all the things that we might experience when we were younger, like he's not only gone through it, but he's on the other side where he could look back and have great perspective on it. And so really looking forward to him sharing God's word with us today. So as he comes up, why don't we welcome this brother as he speaks for us. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Um, what a treat to be here. I feel, I feel like I'm at home. Uh, very similar vibe. Uh, praise was awesome. That was like straight up beef vibe. I loved it. It was <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, Pastor Huang, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, what a treat to be here, uh, to be with you all as I share with you just my own experiences. Lots of confessions. I think it's good for Christians to confess lots of things. I've got three um, not even teenage kids. Now, my oldest just graduated college. She's 22. Uh, my daughter, and then my two boys, 19 and 17. Um, yeah, I know. How do you do it? Uh, it's, um, yes, righteous living. Anyway, before I get to this, the best part of today is coming right now. Best part, scripture, word of God. Would you please rise as I read the infallible, inerrant word of God. Today's passage comes from uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You have it in your bulletins, I believe. Acts 6, 1 through 7. And scripture says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please be seated. I love this passage because I think about the growth of the church. You're familiar with the passage, yes? If you ever went to a deacon ordination service, this is usually a passage that you hear. Um, And it's interesting because it starts with a historical lesson. The church was growing. The number of disciples was growing. And what happens as soon as we find out that the church is growing? It's not just this happy, uh, joyful occasion. No, it says a complaint arose from the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. We understand the historical context of what's happening in the early church here, don't we? Right? Um, before the coming of Christ, we had the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, God's chosen people. Now, it's important to know that with the coming of our Savior, the gospel was open to everyone. The family of God was expanded, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. I'm curious here, any Jewish people in the room? Do we have any Hebrew? I'm certainly not. Um, Only in the cafe do you see someone Hebrews, but that's a different story, sorry. Um, We're not Jewish ethnically, and yet somehow we all call ourselves Christians, right? We've been adopted into the faith. And so this is a conflict that you see that's arising with those who said, no, we belong to Jesus. We are God's chosen race, God's chosen people. And then you've got these other people that you're trying to make sense of. The Gentiles, right? Throughout scripture, I don't have time to go into it, but you see examples of this conflict between ethnicities, right? You've got the Jewish people saying, well, so now do they all need to be circumcised, right? Can they eat whatever they eat now? You have all these examples. If you look at it from that lens, from an ethnic lens, from a cultural lens, you see the conflicts that arise along ethnic and cultural lenses. This passage is fascinating because as you hear these complaints that arose because food was being denied uh, to the widows or they were being overlooked, how did the dominant group respond? In this case, the Hebraic Jews, how did they respond? Did they say, you Greeks are always complaining, right? No, they didn't say that. If we had a hashtag, they might have said, Greek lives matter. And then, well, all lives matter. Hebraic Jews matter. No, that's not how they... They didn't argue about this. The early church, there's beautiful contradiction in the Bible. Well, what happened in the church? Those in power gave up power. Isn't that consistent with the scripture, friends? Right? Those who want to gain their life must, gain their life must lose it. You go from weakness to strength. Our Savior himself... 
and the way that he saved us wasn't through military might, as many of the apostles believed, right? He died. He suffered. He made himself nothing, even becoming a servant. So we take our cue from our Savior, and here we see the apostles responding by saying what? They said, we're going to put this role of deacon at the time, right, an office in the church, to take care of the needs. This is not just waiting on tables. They didn't just pick six men, seven men, to wait on tables. I mean, the numbers before this scene were huge. Jesus feeding 5,000, Jesus feeding 4,000. So you can imagine that it's not just seven men serving food. It was a, a systemic or structural solution that they came up with, not just standing there for 28 hours trying to feed everybody. The other interesting thing, if we went a little bit deeper into the names of these deacons, the names of these officers, the first officers in the church to take care of racial and ethnic challenges and injustices in the church. They were all Greek names. They were all minorities. Friends, when we talk about things that are going on in the world, and there's a lot of things going on in the world, of division along racial and cultural lines, some of us might think, why would the church even talk about this? This has nothing to do with the church. And yet we see this in scripture. It's the church that responds to injustices. The church is the ones that recognize, Christians are the ones who recognize the injustices and get involved inside the church and outside the church. So they gave this responsibility all to the Greeks. I shared this earlier. Um, I was debating whether I should share it again, but I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit lead here. I come from a church that had an EM and a KM, if you're familiar with that, English-speaking ministry, under a Korean-speaking ministry. Imagine if second-generation EM people were saying, because this never happens, uh, to the KM, hey, you know what, we wanted to use this facility on Saturday. I'm like, oh, no, we need it. The KM says we need it. Um, we were supposed to have some, uh, a luncheon prepared. What happened to the chairs? Oh, we needed it for an event. Time and again and again, the EM got denied, so they complained to the first gen, to the KM. They said, hey, we're being overlooked. And how would they respond? Wouldn't it be amazing if they said, that's right, we need to establish officers in the church and let you run with it and create the church. That is a Christian response. We're slowly seeing a Christian response happening in this era. As I'm a second generation Korean American, I see my children, third generation, born in the United States, 2019 and 17. Their lives are vastly different in the way they experience uh, the liminal space that they are as Asian American Christians in Southern California. It's important for us to recognize that when you're in the dominant group, and from the non-dominant group, someone raises a concern. We don't deny it. We don't justify it. We don't excuse it. We listen. We listen. And this is an example we take from our um, older folks in the faith from hundreds and thousands of years ago, how they responded. They overcorrected. It's beautiful to see this passage. There's reconciliation with the coming of the gospel. Not just a horizontal reconciliation between two different ethnic groups. There's also, with the coming of Jesus, a vertical reconciliation with Christ, reconciling with his people, who he created, who we walked away from. You see many different examples of how this works. But let me talk a little bit more about privilege and what it means to be in the dominant group and not being able to see. I'll give you a quick 
little test here. How did you all get into this room? What do you mean, Alex? How did I, I just came in. I didn't think about it. I just, it's natural. I just came in, right? Anyone have to look for wheelchair access? Anyone need assistance with uh, uh, Braille because you, you're vision impaired? Anyone need assistance because you can't hear? You have a hearing loss? These are just physical ability traits that we're talking about. The world is built for able-bodied people. And so it's just natural for us. We don't think about it. Now, I share that with you not so that you'll feel bad. Okay, Alex, you made me feel guilty. Good, I guess that's your goal. No, of course not. I want us to recognize that we're in privileged positions, in this case, uh, physical ability privilege. We don't recognize, that's part of the definition of privilege, is not having to think about it. And then someone points it out, and what is our response? So most of my life, I've experienced what it meant to be a non-dominant person. A minoritized person grew up in uh, the Bay Area, um, the outskirts of the Bay Area, and teased relentlessly. Lots of fights, bullying, all these things you can imagine as one of the few Korean kids, few Asian kids in my community. And one day I came home so upset after a particularly rough, um, uh, brutal session with some bullies. Uh, I was just yelling and screaming at my parents. I said, why did you bring us here? Why did you come to America? I hate it here. I hate you. And I looked in the mirror and I hated myself. I didn't know God then, but what I knew of God, this entity, I hated. Why would you make me this way? My eyes, my hair, my hide, all this. Why would you do this? You're a cosmic killjoy. You must find weird pleasure in watching me suffer. And I was so angry at a God I didn't even know. Years later, as I became a Christian and I reconciled some of these things, both with my identity as a Christian and my identity as a Korean American uh, born in the United States, I recognized, I asked God for forgiveness. God made me, as it says in Jeremiah, wonderfully and fearfully made. He made me in his image. I had a hard time letting that sink in. Did God make a mistake? Am I a mutation? No, God made me in his image wonderfully and beautifully made. Friends, anyone here struggling with your image that God's created you in? You want to be different? You want to be somebody else? You're certain that when you look in the mirror, you don't like what you see. This message is for you. Remember that God made you fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. I'm going to share a quick story with you. It's about a Elephant and a giraffe. Anyone heard this one? Once upon a time, there was a giraffe. Giraffe made this beautiful home, made perfectly to giraffe specifications. You can imagine narrow hallways and tall, soaring windows to overlook the vista. Uh, one giraffe, home of the year a couple times, in fact. Um, and uh, this giraffe looks out the window and she sees her friend, the elephant. She goes, oh, I know that elephant. Um, our kids were in PTSA together, AYS. So I'm going to invite that elephant over. So the elephant's delighted at the invitation. The elephant comes over, encounters the first problem. What is it? The door is too narrow for the elephant's girth. And so the giraffe says, oh, I see the problem, but I have a solution. I can unhinge the doors, grant you access. Grants the elephant access. They're chit-chatting for a minute or two. And then the phone rings. And so the giraffe says, I got to take this call. Make yourself at home. Giraffe leaves, the elephant starts making herself at home, tries to go up the stairs, and it starts cracking and creaking and breaking. 
So the elephant says, that's not a good idea. Let me go back down. Tries to go through the narrow hallway, knocks over the paintings on the wall, tries to sit down, breaks the couch, knocks over a lamp. You can imagine the scene when the giraffe comes back and says, what did you do to my beautiful house? And the elephant says, nothing. I was just making myself at home. And the giraffe says, oh, I see the problem. You're too fat. Right? You're too clumsy. You're too big and oafish. You got to lose weight. You go to 24-hour fitness. You got to change in order for you. Maybe you take ballet lessons, get light on your feet. I love having you here, but you need to change if you're going to stay here. Now, the elephant, she's not convinced. And the elephant's simple response is, I'm not sure that a house that was designed for giraffes was ever intended for elephants. Good, safe conversation, not pointing out any group, right? We can all relate. In some way, if we're in the dominant group, it's natural for us to build a house the way we build it. That's where the story ends. But let me add a little bit to it. What if the giraffe convinced the elephant and the elephant believed the giraffe? And the elephant looks in the mirror and no longer likes what she sees. Why is my nose like this? Why are my eyes like this? Why can't I change it? Can I get surgery? Can I do some things to get things changed? Can I start acting like, thinking like, talking like, and living like a giraffe in order for me to be happy? What if that elephant then tells other elephants, listen, you want to make it in this world? You got to be a giraffe. Act like, think like, talk like, and live like giraffes. They go their whole life that way. What if that elephant so convinced that this is a great place to live, they move in, and all the other elephants say, oh, this is a nice place, let me move in. What happens? Giraffe flight. All the giraffes move to Irvine. So they, they say, oh, no, we don't like this neighborhood anymore. Now it's full of elephants. But what hasn't changed? I bet you the school district's the same. They're still learning giraffe history. I bet they still worship the same way, the way giraffes like to worship, and we embrace all of that. This is a challenge for us as we try to think about how God has called us to be the same yet different. The same yet different. There's something beautiful that we're, we need to learn to embrace when it comes to being in the non-dominant space, being minoritized. It's not always, and maybe it's never been, a liability. Maybe it's been an asset all along. You ever watch that show, uh, Pawn Stars, or uh, what's that other? There's a, there are a bunch of them, right? Um, I love these shows because you have this thing that is sitting in a garage somewhere that's been there for, I don't know, 50 years. It was a hand-me-down. I saw this little train, a little plastic train, red-colored train. I, said, I was going to throw this away. It was from my grandmother, but uh, I'm going to get it appraised. They go in and they get it appraised. They're like, oh, this is a one-of-a-kind item. Right? This is the first model of this toy that was made. Uh, you were going to throw it away or maybe give it away for 50 cents. It, it's worth $12,000. So don't throw anything away. Get it appraised. Um, yeah, that's why my garage is the way it is. Anyway, what you thought was junk, what you thought was a liability, that it was a throwaway item, turned out to be very valuable. What I always thought about my life, that it was just a throwaway, I'm a liability, 
my ethnicity, my language, my heritage. Not really that important. In fact, the liability. Turned out, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, it's an asset. Churches that exist to meet my needs, my cultural experiences, my heritage, sometimes my language, was never a liability. It was always an asset. It's important for us to recognize, do you have eyes to see? Do you recognize the minoritized? My father died 20 years ago. Um, It was very painful, but I, I remember the first people who came up to me. It was other people in the church who had lost a parent. They were the first to come up. No awkward hesitation, whatever. They just started telling their story and they wanted to hear mine. Ever since then, Anyone who dies, a family member who dies in the church, I'm one of the first people, along with everyone else who came to me. We go to them. Because when you've experienced pain, you see pain in other people. If you've experienced what it's like to be minoritized, you see what it's like to be minoritized in other people. We just saw the Barbie movie. Uh, I thought it was very, very good. I watched it with my wife, Jeannie. She ugly cried through the whole thing. Um, and I can't fully comprehend it. We talked about it, we processed it together, um, but it was hard for her. She goes, this is not a kid's movie. Um, but just so much about it uh, for uh, experiences for women that as a man, I will never understand. I don't have the burdens of childbirth, child rearing, all these other things that my wife does and managing family and work and all these other things. And so I don't understand it. But being a minority myself, I understand the experiences of other minorities. I could be a little bit more attentive to some of the issues that women go through. I think women can experience this and understand other challenges. What about in our midst? What are some of the challenges that you might see here? Are there people who are single parents, kids with special needs, still sort of in an immigrant refugee status, DACA recipients, other faiths, these are challenges that are seen and unseen, but if you've experienced what it's like to be minoritized and you feel outcast and you feel like a misfit, well, the gospel is for you, but it's an opportunity for you to reach out to other people who feel outcast and misfit and don't belong. We should understand that. A few years ago, I heard a story um, of a pastor he was praying, he's like 95 years old, a Korean first-generation pastor, and he was praying uh, an incredible prayer of thanksgiving. And he was praying in Korean, so I'll translate for you. Um, he first prayed, Lord, uh, thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of uh, my life and my family's life when we were during the Japanese occupation and we couldn't worship you and we were beaten for proclaiming you as our Lord. You were faithful. And then thank you, Lord, during the war in Korea where we didn't have a place to worship and we were losing family members because of the war. But you were faithful. And thank you, Lord, for bringing us to America. Even though we never understood the language and the culture and we suffered from immigration-related stress, you were faithful. Hearing that just made me cry because here's a man who understood what it means to be a sojourner. When he reads the Old Testament about the Israelites 
walking in wilderness, longing for their home, any immigrants and children of immigrants, understand this so much more profoundly. Yes, this is not our home. They understand what it means to be a sojourner. They long to be home. There's something to be learned from minority folks. There's a lesson to be learned as we hear their perspectives and how they even understand scripture. It's different. There's a word in Korean that's very, very hard to translate. And this is an example of uh, this prayer. It's Han. You all familiar with the word Han in Korean? Loosely translated as deep sorrow, anguish, a deeply collective pain. Not just individual pain, but collective pain. It's not situational, it's generational. And Han occurs over time. Maybe even today when you hear about anti-Asian hate and things that are happening primarily to Asian American sisters across the country, deep-seated pain, collective pain. There's another word, a Hebrew word, that's also very difficult to translate. It's chesed. Chesed is a Hebrew word often referred to as steadfast, loyal, good, holy kind of love that articulates God's unique love for his people. It's a love that's not individual but collective. It's a steadfast love that's never situational. It's generational. And the love is timeless. I have good news for us as we're living between the Han and the Hesed. Many of us understand what it means to suffer, as I shared earlier, but there's also hope. Hesed is clearly the antidote to Han. If Han is a deep, sorrowful, collective generational pain, then God's deep, loving, corporate generational kindness is our only cure. Hesed ultimately comes to God, comes to God's people through God's Son. We realize that God's children currently live somewhere between the Han and the Hesed. But Hesed has already conquered Han. We recognize this tension in our lives, don't we? When we're suffering, we're suffering for a variety of reasons, but there's hope because of hesed, because of God's kindness. Let me add one other story that I think is interesting. When people talk about diversity and they see this as a non-Christian thing, the Bible is replete with examples of diversity. I hope we know that. Even in the way God created the animals, the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, there was diversity and it was beautiful. God created man and woman, differences. It was beautiful, we embraced that. Diversity is good. It's good for all of us. Any Dodgers fans here? You think about the Dodgers, if you want to make it into the postseason, I'm sorry, we're in Orange County, I forgot. The Angels are okay. Um, So you want to make the postseason, you have to have a good left-handed pitcher. Your bullpen needs more than one good left-handed pitcher. We need several left-handed pitchers. My mom's a lefty. But uh, as growing up uh, in Korea in the 1950s, they beat it out of her. They said, no, 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 you have to be right-handed. No left-handed people, right? She'd have been a good pitcher. Um, Something about the dominance, even an example of righty-lefty, right? But who does it benefit if you bring in good left-handed pitchers? 
Does it benefit the left-handed players? No, it benefits the Dodgers. It benefits the whole team. Diversity benefits everyone, not just the people that you decided to highlight. Does that make sense? It's not like right-handed pitchers or right-handed people are going to say, well, now I feel oppressed. No, of course not. It's good for all of us. So Asian American spirituality, Christianity, churches, finding a faith of our own, it's good for us, but it's good for the kingdom. Going back to that original passage as I shared this, as the church was growing there was conflict that arose. Today, we see the same thing. The church is growing. It's just not growing in North America. It's growing in Africa, in Latin America, in China. The church of Jesus Christ is blowing up around the world, just not in Europe and in North America. Jesus, the person of Jesus, never spoke English, never set foot in North America, was a dark-skinned, olive-skinned, Middle Eastern carpenter. That is our Savior. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And yet we see this aberration, this very strange mutation, an imprint and an image of a Huntington Beach Jesus that we're all supposed to get around. It's really bizarre. How much of that is lingering in our own hearts as we think about freeing ourselves from this bondage? We're elephants trying way too hard to become giraffes and telling ourselves that we like it. We like the way giraffes are. We can appreciate it, but it's also okay to have our own spaces. Let me conclude with this thought. We have an opportunity in our own spaces, in our own skin, to share the gospel in our own way. It's not a liability, it's an asset. Your ability to communicate with folks. My family and I lived in Cambodia for three years, uh, 2010 to 2013. Um, It's a hard place to live, I won't lie. But what was really interesting is uh, they eat noodles and rice for breakfast. (laughs) They love K-pop, K-drama, BTS. I thought BTS was, you know, something you have after spicy food. Um, But uh, it's so interesting. My boys were wildly popular. Uh, among all these South Asian girls. Um, I go, wow, what's that like? What's that? Uh, Fascinating. Anyway, it was really interesting because my other missionary friends, non-Asian missionary friends, had a really hard time. They say, pray for us. We're really having a hard time here. Uh, Cambodia's hard. Asia's hard. I mean, we really want to eat regular food. (laughs) We want to eat regular breakfast. I'm like, why? What are you eating? They said, we had noodles. I'm like, that is regular food. What are you talking about? We love breakfast here. It's so funny. Even the most basic things were something that we can connect with. And they look at us and say, oh, we're like cousins. I lived in China for a year, and I told, I told them my last name. I knew it in Chinese characters. And they said, oh, we're cousins. Great opportunity to then extend that and say, hey, you really want to be family? Let me tell you about my father, my heavenly father, sharing the gospel with folks. It's a great opportunity. We can use and leverage these things in a wonderful way. Now, at my church, probably not here, but other churches where I speak at Asian American churches, people will confess. They're like, Elder Alex, that's all fine and good. I like what you said. I like being here. But really have a hard time bringing non-Asian, non-Christians to the church. And I say, why is that? Is your church not preaching the gospel? No, 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 we are. We are. It's just, 
mm, it's awkward. It's awkward. I don't want it to be awkward. I'm like, awkward for who? Awkward for who? It's a double whammy for some of us if we're honest, right? We don't want to bring non-Christians. We also want to, don't want to bring non-Asians because like, yeah, you're going to smell kimchi. Uh, you're going to see, we have a lot of Asians. Asians are the most apologetic people that I know, even with our own space, even with our own faith. I go to a big white church and they're like, Alex, you want to come to our church? We'd love for you to come to our church. And they celebrate. They're like, look, we have an Asian at our church. Isn't this nice? We're getting more and more diverse. I know Thomas has heard me say this where I have non-Asians saying, we all all this diversity and all this stuff, division. Why can't we just all go to the same church? And I'm like, yeah, why don't you come to my church? And they say, huh? What are you talking about? Oh, you meant you want me to go to your church. No, you can come to my church. We preach the gospel. Some of that is what Paulo Freire refers to as internalized hatred. We're not comfortable in our own skin. But the gospel frees us from this. We're free, our identity in Christ, in the way God made us, both our language, our heritage, our culture, and our faith should be celebrated. Now, don't overcorrect. I don't want to radicalize people right? There's always an order. Of course, it's my Christian faith and my identity first. But it doesn't mean to have a Christian faith that I deny who I am, my family and my history. I'll throw this other point in for free. Take it easy on your parents and grandparents who went through what I shared earlier with this pastor's prayer. We don't know the trauma that they went through. They don't know the trauma that they've been through. And they're just still, still, still trying to survive. Maybe living through their children and grandchildren, still just trying to survive. No therapy, no one's getting counseling. I hope the next generation will break that cycle, amen. I hope everyone will just freely get therapy. Um, And uh, it's important for us, but we could be gracious to the generation that came before us. I'm sharing for myself, because when I looked at my parents, my grandparents, I was mostly just filled with shame embarrassment because of language, because of culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I had to ask for their forgiveness as I recognized that I had compartmentalized my life. I thought about what it meant to be a Christian, meant to deny my ethnic heritage and my language. I kind of wanted to start today by speaking in Korean, but I didn't um, because that's an old habit of mine. I used to say, if I spoke in Korean, then they'd probably know I'm Korean. As if they wouldn't know by looking at me. Um, Still a work in progress. You are as well. It's an asset, not a liability. And why do we do it? Ultimately, we take our cue from Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, it said this. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Isn't it a worthy cause to even use your heritage, language, and culture for the sake of the gospel to reach all people? Amen. Join with me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for your mercy. As we have denied Many times, you as our creator and our maker, we have blamed you, 
at times for the way we look and the way we are, our circumstances and situations. But Lord, you see our pain, you hear our tears, you know our suffering. I pray, Lord, that every person here would turn their eyes to Jesus and be reminded you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You made us fearfully and wonderfully made in your image so that we might use who we are, all of who we are, to share the gospel, to bring others to faith. For your kingdom and for your glory, we thank you and we pray these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.